Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Well, thanks for joining us today. Today we have a a guest, Trish Wilkinson, and she's a parent coach. She's a speaker, a mom of two, a veteran teacher, and co-author of Brain Stages, How to Raise Smart, Confident Kids and Have Fun Doing It. That can be a mouthful. Few parenting journeys are easy, but besides the regular issues with raising kids, Trisha's kids had challenges. Through lots of study, interviews with experts, and trial and error, Trish found and created tools and techniques for communication and care that helped her kids become their best selves while bringing their family closer. Trisha's tools not only benefited her own kids, but they've also helped hundreds of her students as well as the parents she coaches who have children of all ages. Trish offers the Brain Stages Parent Empowerment Journey, a digital course with online weekly group coaching to anyone who wants to learn her kid-tested techniques and tools backed by research. After all, kids deserve to grow into confident, successful adults. Trish, thanks so much for being with me today. Well, thanks for having me. This will be fun. I'm looking forward to it because we're going to talk about getting kids game on, getting their brain on to get their game on, right? <laughs> That's right. That's the name of my, of my book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On. So I'm all about that. And I think, you know, kids have been back in school now for a little while. And, you know, when you first go back, there's the novelty. It's fun. You're seeing people you haven't seen in a long time. And then, you know, the work starts. And once you've been there, we have to get serious about school. And it gets a little bit harder to keep our kids motivated about going to school and and getting done what they need to do. And, you know, it's hard. You've got a lot of tips and ideas on how to get our brains to function best, how to have those brains learn and have a lot of fun doing it. I'm sure people would love to hear some of that. Well, here's the thing. It's not as tough as people think. And after you know, a few semesters of wonky school because of the whole pandemic thing. So we've had all kinds of crazy and a lot of kids are going to school with their skills being behind. So the first thing I want to say to whoever's listening is if you have a child and you're worried, realize that their brains have been developing for all of that time. So the things that they're going to learn in school this year, they'll catch up much more quickly because their brains are ready. Does that make sense? I mean, because their brains are still developing. So just because they didn't learn some of the things they didn't know before, they're probably going to catch on to a lot of things faster than they would have. So that was the first thing I wanted to say, because people are still really worried. They've been in school for a couple weeks now, but I've been hearing both from parents and teachers that, you know, the kids are far behind and how am I going to catch them up? And instead of worrying about that, if we just look at it as this is an adventure this year and that kids absolutely have the capacity to learn what they need to learn this year, you know, it doesn't have to affect them terribly. And and the thing that's great, you know, it used to be generations ago, everybody used to walk to school and get a little bit of exercise before they went into the classroom. And that hasn't been the case for a while. I mean, some people still walk or ride their bikes or whatever, but most kids get driven to school either by their parents or on the school bus. 
and they're not getting any movement. And the other thing is, is we all wake up dehydrated. I mean, breakfast isn't just to break the fast for eating, but also because we all wake up dehydrated in the morning. So expecting kids to learn in the morning without any drinking any water is kind of like riding a bike on flat tires. You can do it, <laughs> but it doesn't work very well. So if we can just give our kids a glass of water when they first wake up in the morning, and this is all ages from little teeny folks, middle, elementary school, middle school, high school, whatever age your children are, and you too, as an adult, all of us, when we wake up first thing in the morning, if we get a drink of water, our brain is just gonna work a lot better. And the second thing is, there were some researchers in Canada who were trying to find out what was the least amount of exercise we could do to still get all the benefits. And it turns out it's about 10 minutes. And if we do just 10 minutes of exercise, it makes all the difference because it gets all the chemical reactions going, your, the, um, the neurons, you know, the, the nerve cells, everything starts firing properly. The hormones are firing properly. You get the idea. So it's not just pumping up the oxygen in your brain when you do that 10 minutes of exercise. It's also all the other connections that are going on the brain that the chemicals, the neural, neural pathways, everything just gets revved up and going. Oh, and that 10 minutes of exercise even stimulates cell division in the hippocampus, which as you know, I don't know if our listeners know, but the hippocampus is for long-term memory. It's deep in the brain in the limbic system. It's the big shot in the brain for learning, basically. And it actually causes development and growth of the hippocampus. <laughs> so, so all good. Yeah. So just 10 minutes of exercise in the morning. And we used to like, I have girls. So we used to just turn on the radio and dance in the morning as we would get ready for work and school. Uh, I've had parents say, yeah, I have boys. They're not really into that. And so some boys like to dance a lot of boys, not so much, but you know, how about putting on a, kickboxing video or you know some other kind of physical thing that that boys like to do because everything is available on YouTube now. So well, I you like get... that that you want to make it fun. I really like that. Well, because you're not going to get buy-in from kids unless you make it fun. Also, talk to them about what happens in the brain, especially if if you have a child who has attention issues, if they do that 10 minutes of exercise, so both of our kids have attention issues. So, and I have attention issues. Notice I didn't say attention deficit hyperactivity disorder because we're neither deficient nor are we disordered. We're all successful. My girl, my kids are in their 20s now and they're very successful adults. We just had to figure out what to do to help them become successful adults without how their brains work. And one of the things we did was 10 minutes of exercise in the morning. Well, I did it with whole classes of kids, being that I was a teacher all those years, I've taught all the grades. And guess what? It works for all kids <laughs> because exercise is integral to how our brains work and, and develop and how we maintain a healthy brain. So if you get in that habit, if you just did that one thing, if you got nothing else from listening to Lee and me speak today, 
If you just get 10 minutes of exercise and a drink of water in the morning for your kids, no matter how old they are, you won't believe the difference it makes in how, and you should do it with your kids too. <laughs> it won't, you won't believe the difference and it'll improve everybody's mood. People get along better. I mean, I just couldn't believe the difference in our whole house when, when we started doing this. And I felt a little crazy starting it at first. And the kids are like, mom, I don't want to do. But when I let them start choosing what kind of exercise to do in the morning, then it's amazing how you get more buy-in. They would take turns. What are we going to do? You know, are we going to do this YouTube? Are we going to, you know, are we going to dance today? Are we going to, you know, just whatever. Are we going to jump rope? We had jump rope. Some days we just set the timer and jump rope for 10 minutes and count how many times we could jump. And we didn't care if we missed. We just counted how many times we were able to jump. I mean, because there, there, there's no competition or anything. It's just getting your heart rate up so that everything's working in your brain. And you did that just in the morning or did you do it in the afternoon or evening too? Well, before homework, we ended up doing it too because we started out just in the morning. And it was great to do it just in the morning to get her. And their teachers would tell me, oh, my gosh, you're doing so much better. I don't know what you're doing. And I would tell them <laughs> because I feel like this is a magical discovery. But we started doing that for homework, too. They get home at the end of the day and, you know, they're sloggy and tired. They get off the bus, whatever. And so basically what we did or a lot of times they would end up doing homework in my classroom after school because I taught at the same school where they went to school for quite a few years and they just come in and get the jump ropes and jump rope and we didn't even necessarily time it all the time because after a while your body clock kind of figures out when 10 minutes is does that make sense oh I mean, absolutely so they would just start doing things or bouncing a ball back and forth or playing a little basketball or, you know, just whatever. It doesn't matter what kind of exercise you do. It's just anything to get your heart rate up. In fact, I've been doing this um, five day event with parents and schools called Empowered School about doing exercise in the morning. And I gave them just like this little 10 minute you know, jog in place and hop from one foot to the next foot, you know, just simple five movements that they can do at their chair right in the classroom. And the reason that was important is because some people, you know, you can't go outside after a while and, you know, and do because it may be raining really hard or it may be snowing or, you know what I'm saying? So if you can do little things, learn to do little things in the house where you're jacking up your heart rate that you know that makes it more fun too and you don't have to say oh I can't go I'm rained out today well I think it you know it sounds like you do everything you you can to make it fun to make it easy and to just make it part of your normal life and that's when things are successful is when you integrate it into your normal life I totally totally agree because people used to give me great ideas all the time but they were just ideas out in the world. And unless you like, that's why every day that I'm doing this thing um, on my author, Patricia Wilkinson, Facebook page and the recordings will be up for a while. But that's why, since I'm doing this daily thing so that there's an action step every day. So these are the things you learn today. It's just one concept that we work on each day that's integral. And the first day is this brain thing we're talking about now. Exercise a drink of water. 
And then when your kids get sloggy again in the afternoon, I used to do that exercise and a drink of water. In fact, you know, a lot of times our kids will be tired or they'll be dingy or crabby or whatever is going on. They'll have a stomach ache or a headache. And a lot of times if you just give them a drink of water, because we forget to drink water during the day <laughs> and our bodies need our, our brains are 72% water. So when we, when our bodies get low and get dehydrated, everything gets sloggy. I mean, nothing works right. Absolutely. I mean, the brain only weighs three pounds. And when you think about that, three, 70% of three pounds is water. And when I think about what happens when you dehydrate yourself, I mean, I know I get cramps in my calves. I feel it in my body. I get tired. I lose my clarity. I have a little brain fog going on. So I, I'm a big believer in hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Well, and I think a lot of times with kids, we forget that they are, you know, just little people. And and I think we forget sometimes when we get a headache, oh, I need a drink of water. You know what I'm saying? I think water isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to mind, It because, partly because it's so simple, right? But if we just remember to drink water during the day, you know, that that just makes such a huge difference with how well our brains function, how kids learn, but also how we function and learn and, you know, our productivity, too, just like you were talking about. So we've got our kids well hydrated for the day. We've got some exercise that they know they're going to do for the day. What else? What else plays into? I mean, because when we talked before, we talked about reboot, not react, you know, um, oh, so we... let's talk a little bit about working memory then, because I have games that kids play for working memory, but what happens when they play these little games for working memory? Okay, let me explain real quick working memory for people who aren't sure what that is. Working memory is short-term memory that you can apply to what you already know. In fact, there was a study done in Britain where the, the researchers found that kids actually, it was more important for working memory to be strong than for high IQ for kids to do well in school. Because if we don't have the working memory, that short-term memory to apply what we're learning to what we already know, so we can do things like do a math pro problem, remember what we just wrote on our paper and look at the test paper and be able to put the right answer on it. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a really simple example. But working memory is really important for being able to learn. And the really exciting thing is if you use more than one sense of our five senses, then, and I have all these working memory games that if you use more than one sense, you can boost working memory for kids within a week, about 20%, and two weeks if you do it consistently every day, you can boost it about 30%. So that's one third better almost. <laughs> than where they started. And I really feel that working memory is a big thing for justice and equity in education because things like exercise, water, and working memory, those are things that we can do for all kids, no matter what's going on at home, right? So work, like one of the games would be, I have this favorite game I love to play with kids of all ages because little kids love this game because they can do it. Older kids love it because their moves just get a lot trickier. It's called add a move. So one person starts out doing the move like maybe they clap their hands. 
then they clap their hands and they add another move like snapping their fingers. So clap your hands, snap your fingers. Then the next one is um, make a sound with your tongue. I'm doing sound ones just because we're on a podcast. But so the third one might be let 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 wiggle your tongue, right? <laughs> but you're just adding one move after the other, adding one each time, picking different people to add them. And then when somebody misses or you get all confused, then you just start again. There are no scores or no anything. But if you play that game for about 90 seconds to two minutes on a daily basis for a week, you can improve kids working memory because you're using two senses. You're using sense of sight because they have to watch what's going on and you're using movement or touch. And if you're doing like the ones that we're doing here on the podcast so that you can hear them, <laughs> those hearing moves, then you're adding another sense. And what we found is if you use at least two senses when you're playing a game and you're doing add-on um, activities where they have to remember things in sequence, you actually can improve kids' memory. And the thing that's really great is you, if you're the adult playing the game, then your memory gets a lot better too. Because <laughs> I know we're always complaining, right, about having so much to remember that we can't remember everything. <laughs> Boy, that's the truth. So, you know, you were, how many years did you spend as a teacher? So 23 in public and private schools. And I taught all the grades. While I was going through college, I taught preschool. So that was kind of pre the 23 years. And then after that, I was actually in the music business. So I taught um, I taught as my day job and I just substitute taught, but I got really I loved screaming into microphones, but I actually got really burned out on the whole music business part of it. And I loved working with kids. So I went back to school and I got my, you know, big girl credential, my actual real teaching credential. And and I'm also a writer. So I know you've written a book as well, but I also coach other writers. I've always been really into writing. So that was really fun working with kids. Because writing does a lot of things for kids' brains, too. And I think part of that is using more than one sense. Um, we're finding that there's a difference between kids working online and, and reading print books or writing. Although that's getting closer. So it used to be that it, there just was no comparison. Kids would learn so much better by using physical materials like, you know, a print book and pencil and paper. Whereas now that's changing a little bit because our brains are rewiring because we use so many electronics, but we're still using different senses. So there was just another study that came out that said that kids still learn better from reading print books. So don't give up your library card. <laughs> um, it, it's still a good idea for kids to be able to check out books and read physical books. And they're doing that less and less in school. So if you can take them to the library and they can kind of experiment with whatever they'd like to read, uh, reading a print book is actually really helpful with helping kids with comprehension and um, and various other things. And it's same with like still writing in a journal. It's great to do the electronic stuff, but if if you have kids who like to write, especially to process, it's still great to write in a journal. Well, I really like the way a book feels in my hands. I don't have a Kindle. Um, I got one for Christmas one year and I never used it because I really I want to hold the book. 
I want to turn the pages. I like the actual experience of reading. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm Although I have a Kindle and I do use that too. <laughs> I read both, but I'm kind of a bibliophile, one thing. <laughs> um, so both Kindle and print book. But but yeah, if I have a choice, I would pre- I prefer print books. But I think, you know, the younger set, if we're working with kids, they're so used to electronics, Lee. I, I feel like a lot of kids actually prefer electronics to print books now just because that's most of their experience. So it would be interesting to take a poll and find out, you know, what kids prefer, whether they prefer print books or electronics. That would be interesting to see. Well, you know, it's interesting because audibles have become a big favorite of mine. And while I don't necessarily like a Kindle, I do like an audible because I love to hear the tone of voice that someone speaks in. And, you know, I have found that a lot of the kids that I work with, they really like to listen. They like the audibles, too. Right. Well, audible is a great way to be able to take in information. I love audible listening to audible books when I run. And I think a lot of kids like to listen to audible books. In fact, if your kids are bored in the, you know, writing in the car, an audible book, just having them put, you know, having them have an audible book and use earphones or, you know, little earbuds or something, that's a great way to spend the time instead of them playing constant video games because, well, you know, and I know that they're, Screen time can be absolutely great for kids. I actually have a mini course that I'm offering for free right now that's that's called Healthy Screen Time because screens are here to stay. We're not getting rid of screens any more than we're getting rid of our light bulbs and going back to candles, right? So screens are great if you're in the car doing whatever, but an audible book is a great alternative because then they can listen to something rather than staring at a screen And they're using different parts of their brain, and it's really healthy. Well, I think that, you know, you are right. Screens are, they're here, and they're not going anywhere. And they're very useful. They're very, they have as some good as well as bad. But I think that what I have found with a screen is it takes away my creativity. Now, I know there's all kinds of creative things, games you can play on a screen, but I get so much more creative if I sit down to write in a journal. I might draw a picture of something. I might make big explanation points or underline or, you know, I just feel like I'm so much more expressive when I'm doing it hand with my hand instead of with the keyboard. Yeah, I agree. And I'm with you. That that is totally true. Although I watch what my own children and what younger children do on the keyboard. And they know how to do all that stuff on the keyboard now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they so, do. You know, about drawing the exclamation points and doing all that stuff. I mean, they, they would argue with you and say, so it's not that, I mean, screens are great because of the access to information and, and all the things they can do. And if kids are spending about two hours doing recreational screen time, the studies are pretty, are, pretty consistent that that's a safe amount of time to spend on screens. What's scary is that we're hearing that kids are spending like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine hours a day on, you know, playing games or on social media or whatever. And that is literally we were rewiring their brains. That's why I put this healthy screen time thing together, because 
parents should know what is healthy and what's not and what's the science behind it and why and how to work it out so that they, you know, so that their kids are doing healthy screen time. Especially kids who have attention issues seem to be very attracted to screens. So it's really important for us to know where the boundaries are. So what's healthy for them and what's not, because there are a lot of healthy things about screens. Well, you know, you're right. And, and you said that you had challenges with your kids. Were they were they issues like screen time? Um, what kind of challenges did you face? That was one of them with my older daughter. She's so funny. So she she had a hard time sleeping. So I also do a lot of work. In fact, yesterday's um, day three of the empowered school thing I'm doing was on sleep and how to get the right amount of sleep, because, you know, all the brain work you've done, how important sleep is. Well, screens affect sleep and she would get up in the middle of the night and get on the screen and play some of her video games because she couldn't sleep. But then it was a vicious circle because the blue light in the screen makes it so it's harder to fall asleep and stay asleep. So screens affect your sleep. So it was making it even worse. And Chuck would put up all these firewalls and then she would figure out how to take down the firewalls so she could play her screens. And it got to be kind of a game with them. Eventually, we sat down together because it's all about getting buy-in from your kids. So having discussions with them, talking about what's happening in their brains and why we need to limit the amount of screen time that it can be really healthy and great for them. We just have to come up with some healthy boundaries and have them help you create the boundaries. But I will tell you that Aaliyah ended up a software engineer who leads a team of software engineers and trains other software engineers. So um, her screen time wasn't all bad. She makes a really good living at what she does and she loves it. <laughs> and she's oh, that's great. Great. So, yeah. But well, we I definitely had issues with screen time. Yes. <laughs> I think that, you know, parents today after the pandemic, after having a combination of homeschooling and, and, you know, virtual schooling and, and, they face a different type of issues this year. How do you, because I, I work with some clients that they didn't want to go back to school. They, you know, they, they wanted to just continue at home school and the parents didn't want that. They wanted them back into the school or, or I had, I've had the same situation only vice versa. You know, the kids wanted to go back to school and the parents didn't want to go back to school. How have you seen that impact this year's school learning? Actually, it's been difficult and they're really trying at most schools to really work with kids and creating more of a school community so that they have the community that they miss. So they have that connection with other kids and trying to keep that positive because that was one of the reasons kids wanted to stay home. They didn't have to deal with all the social junk that goes on. Right. So so the schools are actually doing a lot of things to help with with that. Um, you know, creating that sense of community, but we're, but also sitting down and problem solving with your kids, really having discussions and having your kids contribute to how to make that, to how to help. So we've talked about a lot and, and screen time and having conversations with your kids. We're going to go to break, but when we come back, we're going to tell you how to have positive conversations with your kids. We'll be back after these messages.
Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to the living room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. ever check under the bed for monsters when you were a kid? That's what one man from Zimbabwe should have done. When Guy Whittle retired for the evening at the Humani Lodge where he works, he had no clue that an eight-foot crocodile was sleeping under his bed. He got out of bed to eat breakfast and heard one of the housekeepers scream. What's a word for the fear of reptiles? Herpetophobia. Mr. Whittle said that he had previously been sitting on the edge of the bed with his bare feet dangling just centimeters away from the 300-pound croc. Maybe crocodile noses aren't that sensitive after all. What's another word for smelly feet? Podhobramadrosis. To use a term from Shakespeare, these two were strange bedfellows. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back. And, you know, we've talked about some things that that we have to have conversations with our kids about. Screen time has certainly been one of them. And sometimes having conversations with our kids is difficult. It's, you know, we can't find the right time or we can't think of the right thing to say Trish, what kind of tips do you have for parents that want to have good, constructive conversations? Well, the first thing is if they have a problem to work out, something going on, whether it's screen time or how their kids are doing in school, because we were talking before about kids being uncomfortable about going to school or, you know, parents not wanting them to go back to school, you know, just all of this upheaval that's been happening. Um one of the things I, I ask my parents to do with their kids is to ask them if it's a good time to talk. You know, I have something I want to talk to you about. Is this a good time? The reason is, is because if we ask kids if it's a good time, because they can be in the middle of something else. And if we try to talk to them when it's not a good time, then they're not going to be listening anyway. <laughs> right. So if we ask them if it's a good time to talk and they say, yeah, it's a good time to talk, then you have their full attention. If they say, no, I'm right in the middle, you know, I'm about to do something, then set an appointment with them because you're talking about how do we know when it's the right time? So create a time. So, you know, okay, this isn't a good time. Okay, well, I have some other stuff to do anyway. I don't know. How about, and you say an hour from now or two hours from now, whatever works for both of your schedules. So that way you both know when you're going to be talking and there's a set time with it. So so it takes a lot of the tension out of it. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense because I know, you know, if I'm running out of the office trying to get out of here on time and a member of my staff grabs me and says, oh, I have one question. 
uh, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, but I'm not going to give it the amount of thought that I would if it was a right if it was the right time to ask the question. So that makes a lot of sense. And I like, too, that, you know, it shows respect. It's not like I want to talk to you. Sit down and listen. It's like we need to have a conversation. What works for you? And and or I know that like works. To talk to you what works for you, you know, so that we don't scare them. Like, I, I just want to have a conversation with you. I just like to talk to you. When is now a good time so that they don't worry about what you're going to talk to them about? <laughs> so they don't dread it. So you understand what I'm saying? I, and I used to do that with my kids all the time for different things. I mean, if we didn't have a problem, I would just say, guy, we've all been so busy lately. I'd love to talk to you. Is this a good time? And it showed respect as well as then we also had a designated time that we would get together later that I was sure that we would talk because you know what the number one thing is that research has found that ensures that we will raise successful kids, right? What's that? It is two-way conversations with our children. <laughs> that means talking and listening both sides. And it's funny because, you know, my husband always jokes with me and says, you know, Trish, it's we got to quit confusing the urgent with the important. <laughs> because you know how things seem so urgent and we have to get them done. But really, one of the most important things we do, especially if we're raising children, is having conversations with them. And it and it's so important that the studies can actually track. There were two longitudinal studies done that confirmed that the kids who were the most successful were the kids where the parents had two-way conversations with them, whether they were, you know, it didn't matter socioeconomic, education level, um, it, it, none of that stuff mattered, who they were, what their culture was, whatever. The one thread that was the same all the way throughout was people who spent the time talking to their kids and listening and having real conversations with their kids. Those are the kids who did the best as adults, who became the most, had the best relationships, had the best careers, were the happiest, the most grateful, the, you know, fill in the blank, just everything is just having two conversation two way conversations with their kids and if we start off our conversations in respect like is this a good time to talk that seems like such a tiny thing to do but it does show them respect like is this a good time and if it's not set another time and that way you can set up a time when it works for both of you so that you know that you're going to get that really important conversation time communication going with your child no matter how old they are you know you can start doing that with kids when they're really little absolutely so that's that's one step for raising smart confident kids what's another one so another thing i like to say so parents <laughs> parents tell me all the time i want my child to talk to me and i know you tell me it's important these conversations but then they walk in the door and i say hi how was your day and they're like fine and they walk away <laughs> and then when i try well what happened i don't know it was a good day i was fine and what happens is when we ask kids conversations like that a lot of times what happens is a lot of things went on that day so they don't know what you want to hear or where to start or even if you really want to know when you ask a question like that because you know we're in the grocery store and we'll say hi how are you and the person says fine and walks away 
right? So it's not a real it's not a real clear way to communicate. Whereas when your kids walk in, if you just say, hi, great to see you, that right away starts, you know, dopamine starts the positive hormones going on in their brain and chemicals so that they can feel positive when they walk in the door. Oh, when I see mom today, she's going to be happy to see me or dad, whoever you are, or caregiver, foster parent, whatever you're places in this person's life so they come in you just say hi hey great to see you and then tell them what you notice about them hmm you seem thoughtful and then just be quiet a lot of time a lot of times they'll and then usually when you fill when you there's silence after that kids will fill in the gap and tell you what you're seeing on their face or you seem frustrated or you seem happy or wow you look excited you know, whatever you notice on their face, because as you know, Lee, brains need safety. We can't communicate. We can't learn. We can't do anything unless we feel safe because we get stuck in those emotion centers in our brain. So how we get into the prefrontal cortex for thinking is we have to feel safe so we so that we can make that shift. And those working memory games I was telling you about, that's another way and you can play those games anywhere, like the add a move game. You can play. In fact, I have parents that I've worked with that call it the distraction game. When their kids get anxious, they'll play a quick round of add a move. And then their kids can get out of the emotion centers into the thinking centers of their brain. So, an, so another thing I would say is when the kids walk in the door, you say, hi, great to see you. And then instead of asking them a question, tell them what you notice because it shows them that you're really paying attention and that you really want to know. And then if you're quiet and looking at them after you tell them what you notice, they almost always will fill in the gap, male or female. Because a lot of times, a lot of parents who have talked to me about this have said that their sons don't talk to them as much. So, so that's a really good way to get them to talk. That's a great idea. So, you know, talking is important, but what about, you know, just staying in the present? And I find so many of the families I work with, they're, you know, they're either they're worried about something that happened last week or they're worried about what's going to happen next week. And just staying in the present moment can be very difficult. And that's so that's the brain reboot that I talk about, <laughs> because we all get uptight about things that are happening, right? Things we worry that might happen, that's anxiety. Things that, that we worry about that have happened, that's depression, <laughs> right? We we get, and especially right now with all the things that have been going on, we just have a lot of heaviness in our spirit right now. And something that's just super easy to do, and I know you've been hearing about it more and more, is just to breathe. Inhale, take a really big, deep inhale to the count of four and exhale to the count of four or six, a little bit longer exhale than inhale. And people are like, oh, breathing, that's all airy-fairy. But actually on a, on a physiological level, we're actually resetting our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system when we do that through the brain and the breathing and, and throughout our whole bodies so we can actually get into the present. So one of the things I teach parents to do, which I call my reboot 
system is when they get up tight with their kids or just up tight in general, I have them breathe in, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, five, six. And then think of a physical anchor because when we worry about things that are gonna, that already happened or that might happen, it takes us out of the present. Whereas if we take that deep breath and we think of a physical anchor, like I'm tall, so for me, it's my feet. If we think of that physical anchor, it brings us back into the room for right here, right now. And we can remind ourselves that we are in the right here, right now, and that we can't, you know, we can't affect the future or change the past. We need to be in the present right here, right now. So inhale, exhale, think of that physical anchor. And for me, if especially when I was upset with my kids, but I use this anytime I get upset now, is I think of a short phrase. So for me, I say, I can do this. Or I have parents who say, I got this, which is almost the same, or I deserve peace, or I'm okay. You know, it depends kind of what your background is, whatever those words are, but you just pick whatever works for you, <laughs> right? And so the idea is to just do a few breaths of deep breathing. And it takes, when you're not in the present and you're all worried about things, it takes about 90 seconds to work through the cortisol, the stress hormone in your brain. And it's amazing how just stopping to breathe for 90 seconds, it's about 10 breaths altogether. And if while you're breathing, you think of that physical anchor and your phrase, and then just focus on your breathing, you can't believe the difference it makes just to keep you in the room and to literally reboot your brain. Well, you know, and I call that when I talk to people about breathing, get grounded. I like to sit down in a chair. I like to put my hands on my knees. I like to tap my feet on the floor to feel the floor underneath me. And that makes me feel grounded. And then, and, and I like to, I'll tell people, breathe in what you need and breathe out what you don't need. So breathe in calmness and then breathe out tension. And you know, there's, if you can keep your focus on your actual breath work, it is, um, you slow the heart, you chart, slow your breath rate down, you slow the heart rate down, you create heart rate variability, you get that heart and that breath to dance together, you create wellness. And isn't that true? And it's, and you know what is even better about that is teaching your kids that even if you have little teeny kids, it was funny. There was a there was a guy who was um, into breath work and and yoga particularly, and he started to get upset about something. And his four year old looked at him and said, "Daddy." <sighs> so so his son his little guy but the point is is when we start this off with our kids no matter how little they are all the way up through high school if we start doing it with them and supporting them and doing that what a gift to give to our kids right so it really is and a lot of it too is sometimes we won't do things for ourselves that we will do for our children so it's really good for us too to do that for our kids because we're also doing that for us all of the things that I've been talking about to do with your kids, if you're doing it with your kids instead of just trying to have your kids do other things, because 
what's the saying? I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking too loudly. I mean, they watch everything we do so closely. So if we're doing the same things that we're asking them to do, they'll learn to do it. They'll understand why. And you're building all of those social skills and emotional strength and resilience. I mean, just you're doing so many things for them so that when they grow up to be adults, they have the tools they need to survive in our society because we really need a lot of social and emotional maturity nowadays to get along with so many people in our society in a service-driven society. You're right. We do need that. So taking kind of going global the for the teachers that are out there, because I have some clients that are teachers and they're very frustrated and, you know, they're they're trying to find a way to better serve their students. What advice do you have for them? Well, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but as a teacher, I can't because of doing physical exercise and drinking water in the morning. It will save you so much time. If you have your kids first thing in the morning, do 10 minutes of exercise, get a big drink of water, do a little bit of breathing and do a working memory game. What it does is it calms everybody down. The behavior's better. They think better. They work better. And a lot of teachers have already done the work in these first couple of weeks of you know, this is what I'm teaching this year. This is why it's important for you to learn this. I'm so excited that you get to learn this this year. This is how you're going to use these concepts that I'm teaching in your life. And let's have you set some goals and intentions of your own and take control of your own education. And, you know, in doing all those things with kids and helping and making them feel respected and like they are part in control and I mean, that just made all the difference in my classroom for, you know, for what I was doing in school. And I will tell you the that exercise and drinking water and doing working memory games. <laughs> there was a year that I was working right next door to the teacher of the year. It was the first year that I had ever taught fourth grade. And I was teaching next to this marvelous teacher who had all these accolades and he got, you know, great scores and kids loved him and all of those things. And I thought, oh, great. I've never even taught fourth grade before. This will be interesting. And I will tell you, his kids were mostly um, requested by the parents and the kids in my class. Nobody knew I was moving to fourth grade. So, you know, I got the mixed bag of students that year. And I will tell you that my scores came in ahead of his, not even that I'm a big score person, but I will tell you just doing these things like getting kids' brains ready to work, ready to learn, and having them set goals and know where they're going so they have a clear path and a clear journey and they feel in control, just doing those few things made all the difference. I mean, because it's how our brains are wired. If we teach according to how our brains are wired, wow. Wow, what a difference that makes. <laughs> well, let's talk about setting goals for learning because, you know, we've talked before and, and you believe that you can do that with kids in first grade. 
Oh, yeah, I did that with kids in first grade. They'd say, I'd say, okay, this year you get to learn to read. Isn't that exciting? When you see words up everywhere, like a lot of you are starting to learn to read, but we're really going to learn to read. We're going to talk about stories and characters and how they're put together. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so fun. And by the end of the year, you're going to be able to write at least a little story of your own. And we're going to set that up for you so that you can do that. And, you know, I'd have them do a certain amount of dictating. And, I, you know, I had a whole bunch of little things that we were doing. But the point is, is that I'd say, so what do you want to do? What does your year look like for you? What do you, and, you know, the kids were like, I want to learn to read. I'm going to write a story, you know, because I would get them all pumped up about about doing that. And then we'd have weekly check-ins. How are you doing with your goals? Are you reading every night so that you get to practice? Are you, you know, working on your sight words and, and learning those things? So, and I, I had little, you know, rewards and fun things that they got to do when they did certain things. So, but I set it up so that they had their goals in mind. They knew where they were going and what they were doing. And that was first graders. You can do that with any grade. Like when I taught writing in sixth grade, you know, I had kids set writing goals. What would you like this to look like? Um, and, you know, and we ended up having two kids when I taught fifth and sixth grade that year um, writing. And we had them come in at the top of the district. They both won um, awards for their essays. And I don't think that was all me. I think that was, you know, setting goals and this is what I want to do. And I'm going to learn how to, by golly, I'm going to learn how to do this. And I mean, you can do it with any grade. And in high school, same kind of thing. If you're teaching trigonometry, you know, show kids why it's fun to learn trigonometry and what that's about and how they can use those concepts they may not be using the actual algorithms, but they will be using the the logic concepts that you get in trig or in, you know, algebra or geometry, all those different kinds of things. Whatever you're teaching, you can show your kids the fun in what they're learning that year, which is how you got the passion for doing it in the first place. And, you know, show kids what that looks like, why they're going to why it's important to learn how they're going to learn it and have them set goals as to what they want that to look like. Because when kids set goals for what they want it to look like, I'm going to, you know, work on this every day. I'm going to figure out this concept. And really, I found what's worked best with all ages is to revisit goals at least once a week and for them to have a support buddy. So I used to put my kids in partners where they would have support buddies, where they would support each other in meeting their goals. I find that works for myself as an adult, Lee. <laughs> I have, I have a, a friend that she's actually in Canada and I'm in Oregon, but we meet once a week and talk, you know, talk via, um, you know, on screens and talk about what's going on in our week and what our goals are for the next week and what our long-term goals are. And just having that person who is lovingly supporting us and that we know that we're going to have to tell them what we, you know, what progress we made and where we're going from there is huge. And it's the same way for kids. Well, accountability always improves the outcome. There's no doubt about that. And having somebody that you enjoy spending time with that helps you hold you responsible makes it 
it puts a little bit of play into it. Isn't that true? Well, and you know me and the whole play, you know, how to raise smart, confident kids and have fun doing it. I mean, I'm really all about fun. <laughs> I, I think parenting should be fun. I think teaching should be fun. And a lot of times, you know, especially with the outside things that are going on with teaching and parenting and, you know, whatever now, we, our society takes a lot of fun out of it. So we have to be intentional about how do we put some of the fun back into it because, you know, and just be intentional about how are we going to have a good time doing this? How are we going to make it fun for kids and, you know, and parents and teachers? How are we going to shift the mindset so that from drudgery and misery to, hey, we're going to have a blast doing this. And I think goals help do that. And I think you know, starting off with exercise, you know, doing something fun for exercise and getting a drink of water. And all of that is respect, respect for our brains, respect for each other, and then having a support buddy, whether it's, you know, a parent or another student. I used to like to have support buddies, have kids um, have support buddies in the classroom. Well, that makes it, you know, that makes it a lot easier because they need to be accessible when you need them and having one in the classroom. And that's probably when a lot of kids need them is when they're in the classroom. You know, going back to what you said about play, I've noticed in my practice that over the last 18 months, people have almost gotten, they've lost their sense of play. They've kind of you know, we've gotten so caught up in, in the pandemic and, oh, I need to be focused on being productive. And I need to, you know, always the first thing I say when I see somebody is, what'd you do yesterday? It was fun. Have any fun over the weekend? Oh, no. You know, well, why not? Um, well, you know, we, with everything we've been through, I really need to focus on making things better for my parents or taking care of business better. And I just have to stop and say, do you know how important play is for the brain? How that when you're playing, you're creating new neural pathways, you're creating connections in the brain that haven't been there before. That's when you're creative. That's when you're innovative. And I love that you're saying this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, a lot of times people think when other people just are allowing themselves time to stare off into space. Our brains need that downtime, all the things you're talking about, and that actually shifts what we learn from short-term memory to long-term memory. So, so, I mean, it actually saves time to have downtime, saves time to do all the things you're talking about. So, yay, Lee, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> well, you're well, you're welcome. That's something that I that I really do think that we're missing, and you know, even on. For adults, as companies are starting to think about how they bring people back to work, people don't want to go back to work. Some people are afraid they're going to get sick if they go back to work. Some people don't want to have to get out of their sweats, you know. Um, We've just had a great, a great talk, and, and I've enjoyed everything so much. If people want to find you online, how could they find you? Well, all they have to do is go to thebrainstages.com. There's all kinds of free stuff on there, and you can contact me directly at trish at thebrainstages.com, especially if you have any kind of specific thing that you're dealing with with your kids trying to work out. 
Um, and, and I'm happy to give you a free consultation or whatever, because I really believe parenting should be fun. And there are tools and techniques, things that we can do, things at your disposal. Well, thank you so much, Trish, for being with us today and sharing your ideas. And I love everything. I love that you're all about fun. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeart